Good morning, everybody. How we doing? Yeah, everybody's good? Turn to your neighbor and say, you doing good? Second choice, how about you? You doing good? <laughs> you can get your worship guides out and uh, encourage you to take notes. I don't have the fill in the blanks today. I did this message yesterday and on the way home uh, on a plane on Friday, so this is kind of uh, late in the game for my staff. Kind of changed and pulled away from the series just to address uh, current events, and I, I just have a message to uh, uh, address kind of the what happened just this last week. So I will say this, if you're new to Connect, um, this will be a little different, an atypical message for a Sunday service. Usually we speak in series and kind of do things uh, thematically or um, like the Bible, it talks about teaching precept upon precept, line upon line. So we kind of break a subject into many weeks and uh, unpack it kind of slowly. This will be kind of a concentrated uh, message, not really unpacked slowly, maybe a little bit heavy, and, um, but I do believe it is very relevant, and I hope that if you're a guest, you'll come back and, and jump into our uh, Break the Chain series with us next week. Um, I am uh, addressing kind of this from a more pastoral perspective. Um, this won't be boring. In fact, I heard a story. Uh, this woman was saying to uh, a preacher, uh, I guess her husband got up and walked out in the, in the service, and uh, she said to the preacher, I hope you didn't take it personally. And she was kind of embarrassed. Uh, after the church service, and uh, she says, I hope you didn't take it personally when my husband walked out uh, during the sermon. And the pastor said, well, I did find it a little, you know, disconcerting, and frankly, I was a little bit offended by it, but um, she said, well, it wasn't out of disrespect for you. Um, I, I-, I want you to know Fred has been walking in his sleep ever since he was a child. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, that's funny. I don't care what you say. <laughs> anyway. So this won't put you to sleep, okay, but it will make you think, all right? And uh, I want to address kind of the church's response to the, the Boston bombings and what is our response? What should we do in a situation like this? And fundamentally, we should be a church that brings hope to a hurting world. And I was thinking about this recent crisis and others like it, and, and it just, it, I was, you know, I don't like talking about what I'm going to talk about, but this is just one of those things where I need to be responsible, and I kind of want to bring a certain amount of comfort to those that need it, and I do believe there's people in this room, people were in the last service that needed it, um, and it may not just be related to the Boston bomb, it's just comfort in general. This has a kind of an all-play, all-situation application to it. It's just been, um, you know, the, the catalyst for it is what has just happened, so Hopefully this brings some comfort. But even more than that, I, wanted to, I want to equip you. My primary responsibility as pastor uh, is to equip you. That, that means bring vision, leadership, you know, keep our culture healthy. And so I want to make sure that you, uh, you can answer some of the tough questions that people think or that people ask. We're supposed to have a timely word and an apt reply. We're supposed to be ready in season, out of season. We're in season right now. This is a season when people have questions and people need to know what's up. And so I, hopefully this kind of will help you and I encourage you to take copious notes this morning. Uh, I haven't made it as easy for you, but sometimes that's better. Uh, you know as well as I do that this, it's been crazy lately. Uh, I'm going to give you seven questions that people ask in just a few minutes in times like these. But um, you know as well as I do that it's been a crazy year. Um, Just in the United States, uh, there was, of course, the hurricane in New Jersey, 72,000 homes, $85 billion in damage. Uh, There was a drought in the United States, you know, in the Midwest, uh, top 10 in history. Um, 
There was the uh, Kentucky tornado where 23 people died. The Colorado fires where 35,000 people uh, had to flee their homes. Uh, there were 15 killed and more than 160 injured in the Waco, Texas fertilizer plant fire that just happened. Uh, flooding in Chicago, you know, seven, eight inches of rain in 24-hour period, just to name a few things. This that We're talking about just recently. Uh, just this year, uh, there was uh, a terrorist found building a bomb uh, to hit federal buildings in Ashland, Massachusetts. Does everybody remember that? Raise your hand if you remember that. Okay, I mean, this is a crazy day. This guy was in our backyard. And of course, now most recently, two more terrorists with details, of course, that will continue to unfold over the coming weeks. Uh, they were successful in killing three people, including an eight-year-old boy, injuring over 180 people, in some cases permanently. Um, loss of limbs, etc. Eight of these injuries were children. I mean, it's been quite a year. It's been quite a week. Forever changed by this. And so this isn't one of those Pastor Derek, you know, faith and frivolity messages. You know, this is this is sober kind of message. And again, it's to equip you. So what should the church do in times like these? Fundamentally, we should pray. We should pray. Everybody say pray. All right, let me give you an opening text from 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is one that's good for you to look at another time in your devotions or in your time, uh, your time of uh, away with God, alone with God. But 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, it basically, uh, of course, it goes away. Thank you, Jesus. Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, who's pastoring a very healthy, robust church. So, um, and, and it basically is addressing Christians, okay, Christians, and how Christians should conduct themselves. Uh, and the first thing that basically that you can see from the scriptures is that we're called to pray, and we're especially called to pray for those in authority. First Timothy 1 says, I urge you, first of all, everybody say first of all, to pray for all people, all right? It says, pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. And give intercede, by the way, is like standing in the gap. So when, when, when somebody can't pray for themselves, you're praying for them. You're standing in the gap. You're in, you're in between until, until the natural and the supernatural meet, that's what it means to intercede. Does that make sense a little bit? A little bit? Okay, so intercede on their behalf and give thanks to them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives. Why do we pray for them? So that we can have peaceful and quiet lives. Marked by Godly. And by the way, we take that for granted. How often and how um, regularly, how routinely we experience peaceful and quiet lives. But, that, but, but when we don't, we need to pray. And we need to pray even when we don't, so that we continue that. Uh, marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, which we should want to do to please Him. That's what we live for, to please God. Who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. That's His motivation, His goal, His top preoccupation. There's one mediator, verse 5, between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He gave His life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world and just at the right time. And I have been chosen, Paul speaking, a preacher, an apostle, to teach the Gentiles this message about faith and truth. I'm not exaggerating. I'm telling you the truth. In every place of worship, I want men, in one translation it says everywhere, to lift up holy hands. I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. This is the reading of the Lord. <laughs> I just felt like getting spiritual there. 
Uh, but I want, I want to help us learn from this and even more see the opportunity that is before us because the church's finest hour is in times of tragedy, in times of crisis, and in times of di- difficulty. And what happens in times like these is people either consciously or, or, or subconsciously are thinking, good honey, right? I said subconsciously, not unconscious. Anyway, it's a private joke. Uh, are thinking these questions. Okay, so here's seven questions that I want to address. The first question is, and these are tough, and I want you to know I don't like this particular job right now, but it's important, and, and, and hopefully it'll be very helpful. The first question that comes up in situations like this is, did God do this? Did God do this, or did God cause this to happen? You could say, did God do this, or did God cause this to happen? And the answer unequivocally, let me just say, is no. God did not do this. Uh, the, the truth, the fact of the matter is that angry hurtful, demonically inspired people or individuals uh, did this. Well, well, a follow-up question would be uh, uh, to this. Could, could, could God have stopped or could God have intervened in this situation? Can he? Yes. Will he? No, he won't. Now, let me explain this to you. This is really important. The follow-up question is maybe more intellectually and uh, theologically important for many of us that are in this room because we believe the first one, but we struggle with the second question. But, I, but um, understand that if he did intervene, understand if he did interrupt human affairs, if he did get in there when, um, when people are going around hurting each other, destroying each other, doing destructive things, uh, he would interfere with one of the most important, and I would submit to you, I like to call it not so much a gift, but a muscle, the most powerful gift or muscle that we have, and that is choice, free will, freedom, free will agency. If God intervenes when, in the affairs of man, when, when, he, when he decides of his free will to do the different things, all the way back to the Christian crusades, people say, well, you know, how could an angry God? No, you're, you're, you're taking, uh, you're, taking uh, you're applying to God uh, what ascribing to him blame when really it's man that did some of these different things and abused these different things. This has been going on for his, throughout all of history. And so when he intervenes, what's really important for us to see is then we'd have to live in a world where there is no, if there, there's no choice or there's no freedom if he got in the way of all this stuff. Here's what's even more important and maybe even more helpful to you. Because the world without true freedom or choice is a world without true love. Or real love. Say, what are you talking about? Well, no, you can write this down. No true freedom, no true love. If my if my choice is taken away from me, if I am obligated to love my wife, do you think my wife's going to feel loved? She's not going to feel loved if I have to do it. If choice has been taken away, if I'm obligated to be Bob's friend, does Bob feel like I'm a really good friend? No, he doesn't. See, God knows that freedom uh, uh, fuels. Love, okay? Choice is the power behind true love. And terrorists want to live in a world without choice. They want to take it away. They want to control life. They want to control circumstances. They want to remove freedoms. They want to tell a little girl, you know, you can't be educated. They want to tell a little girl, if your veil falls off your face, you'll be beaten with rods. They want to tell, you know, a little girl she has to do this or she has to do that. You can't go to school. You can't do this. Some want to live in, the, in a world where... They consider it their duty to kill people who disagree with them. 
This is not God's will. This is not God's plan. This was not his intent. This is the devil's plan. The devil wants to control. God wants to give us freedom. He wants to give us choice. We're enjoying freedom right now to be able to even hear this has been paid for by someone else. It's been made possible. And so we don't, we, we don't want that. We want to walk in wisdom. In fact, Proverbs 28, 26 says those who trust their own insight are foolish, but anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man worketh a snare, but he who puts his trust in God is kept safe. 1 John chapter 5, you look at verse 18, 19, something like that, but it basically says those that are born of God are kept safe. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. I used to read that and kind of see that, and I saw those two things contrasting with each other. The, those that are born of God are kept safe, but the whole world is under the control of the evil one. What does that mean? What it means to those of us who are citizens of heaven, those who have called upon the name of the Lord, those who invited Christ and become followers of Christ into our heart, we are born of God. We are no longer citizens of this world. So this is going to sound a little weird to some people that are coming in, but basically you're, you're created in the image of God. You have a spirit, a mind, and a body, but in order for that spirit to come alive, it's like a, it's like a pilot light in an oven. You ha it has to be turned on, all right? And so that is done when we, when we make that faith reception and we invite Jesus Christ in our heart. When that happens, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, old is gone, behold, all things become new. We're a new creature, a new creation. What are we a creature of? A creature of heaven. We're a citizen of heaven. We're aliens to this world, foreigners in this world. And so how are we kept safe? By being born of God. Well, well but, but some people who are born of God still have bad things happen to them. Yes, that's why we need to exercise our faith. Faith is like a muscle. If you don't use it, you lose it. You know? Sometimes if you don't, <laughs> that's the funniest thing I'm going to do all service. Sometimes if you, if you don't use those muscles, you use it. A Christ follower might have the badge like a police officer on their chest. All right? And for, and for a lot of the situations that happen in your life, you've been identified now as a police officer, just like you've been identified, the enemy sees you as a Christ follower. But sometimes, now you become an enemy of the enemy. And so, in order for you to protect yourself, you have to take the gun out of the holster once in a while to protect yourself. And scripture tells us, and, and our sister, uh, was just Vanessa was just showing us in, in Ephesians chapter 6, that the weapons we fight with are not carnal. They're not guns and holsters, but they are mighty through God. We have to put on the belt of truth. We have to put on the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the, the, sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, have our feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace. That's the weapons that we're supposed to fight with is the word of God, knowing the word of God, being able to rightly divide the word of truth, being able to exercise our faith, you know, it's to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy, to be able to know, you know, that what God says about us and have the mind of Christ and have his wisdom with the helmet of salvation, to know deception and, and distortion and, 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 and all the different lies of the enemy by knowing truth, by having it hid in our heart that we might not sin against God, to be able to do his will, walk and go where he says to walk, fulfill his purpose, because purpose protects us. Are you track with me out there? There's a whole different way as Christ followers, as sojourners, as the, as, the, as the King James says, in this world are supposed to live. And if we do and we exercise those weapons, then we are kept safe. We're kept safe. Are you tracking? Because sometimes the enemy will come at you like a flood. And the Bible says he'll raise up a standard. Sometimes the enemy will come at you set, you know, one way. You can send him fleeing seven ways. How do you do that? Those have to be born of God. And then those who exercise their, their spiritual muscle or they use the weapons that God has given them. Say, so where do you learn that? In church. 
in small groups, and in growth track. That's where you learn that, all right? Because it's not enough. Sometimes we teach this two ways. James 4, 7 says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Some people realize, i got to surrender my life to God. Great, done that. But you also have to resist the devil because he will pounce on you. He will pounce on you. He's not threatened by people he already has. He's threatened by people he doesn't have. And so he attacks Christ's followers. He tries, to, he tries to circumvent the plan of God for their life. This is better preaching than your amen, and that's all I'm saying. Anyway, so back to this freedom point. The Lord offers a, a, a world where we have freedom, and he offers us a world where we can even say no to him. We can ultimately reject him. He's so committed to this approach and to this plan of giving the world freedom, he'll even let us reject him. Think about how committed he is to free will agency. He'll let us even go, eh, here's, give, give God the Heisman. Some of you guys don't know sports, but that's okay. You know what I mean? Just, here you go, God, you know what I mean? It's just, no, but he's, he's so committed to this. Number two question, whose fault is this? Obviously the terrorists, but in our country and in our context, Whose fault is this? There's this tendency to want to blame and hold somebody responsible. Is it the security of the city? Is it the Boston police really weren't paying attention? Is it, you know, the you know, Boston Marathon Association? Is it, what is, is it the citizens? The truth is there's, there's really, look at me, there's really no way to fully protect ourselves from terrorism. I hate this point that I'm going to make, but it's a, re, it's a reality. Everything that we would try to do, attempt to do, it's merely a deterrent. It's just a deterrent. It's, let me give you a parallel. It's the same way in a relationship with my spouse. The number one deterrent, excuse me, yeah, the number one deterrent from falling into temptation for some, from the enemy trying to breach our relationship isn't uh, don't be seen alone with women, um, don't do this, don't do that, make sure everything's all in the open, you know, I have windows and, you know, I don't meet with women alone, I have, you know, windows in my office door and if I'm, if in, if I'm behind closed doors, the blinds are open and, you know, I don't travel, with, I do all these different things so that I can be above reproach. Are those things necessary and good? Yes, absolutely. But the number one deterrent against uh, impurity or uh, sexual impropriety or the accusations of such is staying in love with my wife. That's the number one thing that I can do and focus on. It's the same thing. We have all these in the, in the natural realm in terms of the physical protection. There's all these things that are out there that are deterrents. But the number one thing that can keep you protected is staying close to God. Yeah. The, whoever puts his trust in the Lord, he will be kept safe. Yeah. Are you guys tracking with me out there? And so as Christians, we have to see that as the, as the real deal. It's the real thing that we should be uh, focusing on because there's a tendency for us to blame what's going on on something in the natural, or then we get spiritual, but we're really warped in our spirituality. We want to blame the, the moral and ethical condition of our country, of our nation, as the problem. This is judgment. This is coming from God. It's judgment. Listen, are we any worse? Don't answer this out loud, because I don't want to really hear your opinions. I want you to hear my thoughts on this this morning, okay? So I'm, I'm being honest with you, okay? Are we really any worse off than any other countries of the world? I would, my answer to that is no, no. There's all kinds of egregious, immoral, frankly, amoral behavior happening in this country and other parts of the world. But let me ask you, uh, is it a legit reason for these type of things to happen to us? I think this country still, to this day, is the greatest country in the world, and the rest of the world knows it. We are more, we're responsible for more philanthropic, selfless 
actions and activities. We're the first to arrive on the scene when there's a crisis, when there's war, pestilence, poverty, whatever it is. We're the first to give. We're the first to show up. We live in the most powerful, influential country in the world to this day. Are there problems? Oh, yeah, there are problems. Absolutely. Does this world need Jesus? Does this country need Jesus? Absolutely. Do I still believe the church is the hope of the world? Absolutely more than ever I'm convinced of it. But we shouldn't blame America, FBI, Boston police. I'm not saying we did. They did a phenomenal job, a phenomenal job. But, but sometimes better than others, sometimes worse than others, all right? But sometimes people want to blame the church too. Church people want to blame church people. They want to hold them responsible. And, and, and it's just this, this preoccupation with doing this. If, hear me on this one. And this, don't walk away thinking um, this is a condemning word. I'm just saying if we had to blame someone, if you said, okay, listen, buddy, I'm interviewing you, Pastor D, but if you had to put responsibility, you had no choice, there were no other options, who would you put responsibility on? I would say, if I absolutely had to, the church. And here's why, and I want you to hear this. Uh, the church is supposed to be the salt and light of the world. Okay, as, as Vanessa was saying this earlier, we are, we are to preserve uh, a, a, a preservation of influence. What I think sometimes the church of Jesus Christ and, and certainly our world is, is more preoccupied with, listen to me now, affluence than influence. We are supposed to use, listen to me, the reason you should faithfully tithe and bring offerings to a church, and don't misinterpret what I'm saying here, if you think I'm after your money, go someplace else and give it someplace else. We don't even take an offering, so don't. Get all preoccupied with that. The reason you should bring tithes and offerings to church is not so we can increase our affluence. It's so we can increase our influence. Can I have a better amen out there than that? And so we're supposed to have silos of support so that when something, we shouldn't be given to a one fund. We should be the one fund. The church should be the one fund. But we're not at this point. And I think there's a level of responsibility that we should have. The reason... We are not sometimes because we're just, we're preoccupied with other things. And, and, and I, I, and I want to hold our church to a certain level of responsibility to grow in that. You need to get, we need to get whole. We need to get healthy so that we can help people who are not whole and help people who are not healthy. It should be at hospital. People come and we're just like, what do you need? How can I help you? This is, this is, here's solutions. Here's healing. Here's, here's answers. But we're, we're not there yet. We must get stronger. In, instead, in times like these, I, I think what happens a lot of times is we spend more time criticizing than prioritizing. And, and we, we're not focused on the most important things in life a lot of time. Another thing, and this is a little uh, elevated in responsibility, but just think about this. But I think about this for myself as pastor in this church. I believe uh, that God has given gifts to the body. Ephesians chapter 4 says that Jesus gave these gifts, apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers, okay? The five-fold ministry, they're gifts to the body. The reality is that a lot of the gifts uh, that Jesus has given to the body of Christ are not in operation today the way they're supposed to be. Now, now think about this, and I've thought about this a lot, and I'm going to try to consolidate this. I believe that we should, where, where was the prophetic voice, where was the prophetic discernment that a catastrophe like what was going to happen in Boston was going to happen? It, 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 I know this is going to seem a little 
wow, you really think God could show us that before it's happened? Well, yeah, he did, in the, he did in the Bible. Yeah, he did. And he's done it in modern times too. And so where's the prophetic voice where that could be, we could know in advance that those kind of things were going to happen? That God showed Elisha uh, that a Syrian king was making plans in his bedroom to, 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 on how he was going to defeat the king of Israel. God showed Elisha that, and then Elisha went to the king of Israel and revealed the plan, so the plan was thwarted. He, Eli, where, are the, where are the Elishas of today? This is a sidebar. I think the Elishas aren't here today primarily because in five-fold ministry, a prophet whose responsibility is for, is primarily is correction and direction. A prophet is not worried about what the people think. A true prophet or prophetess does not care what the people think. But what a prophet needs is a father anointing over them. An apostle's primary responsibility is a, to father sons and daughters, to father, in particular, prophets and prophetess. So their job is to bring affirmation so that the prophet or prophetess can bring correction and direction. The reason there's not a prophetic voice in the church today is because apostles are not secure and whole enough to step back and let the sons and daughters actually do ministry, release ministry, run ministry, and be a covering and an affirmation and a fathering anointing for that, for that, for that uh, office. Are you tracking with me? And so to, to expect that there would be a prophetic discernment or prophetic voice in times like these when we've ignored for 200 years the prophetic voice and when uh, apostles haven't been recognized or haven't been uh, recognized by people or recognized their role themselves fundamentally, that's why we don't see these kind of things happening today. That's a word of the Lord. I'm just telling you that right now, what I just gave you. I'm just telling you. That'll help a lot of people. Christine Kane, we just saw a prophetess just this last week. My wife, my son, Roy, and I were at our art conference, our annual kind of family reunion for the churches down there, 3,500 pastors representing people from all the way. We heard from Rick Warren after the death of his son, the first time he ever spoke. We heard from him. It was powerful. But Christine Kane and the anointing, it was just so powerful. She just, she basically just beat us up. Didn't beat us down. She beat us up. And so there was correction and there was direction that was coming out. And her apostle, her father was sitting on the front row, Brian Houston, pastor of Hillsong Church. The reason she can speak with such security and such authority is because she has an apostle over her who brings constant affirmation to her and her covering. It was powerful to see. And so regarding this blame game, if I were to take it up another notch, I would, I would hold myself responsible in a measure. I think we all should have a little bit of responsibility in praying 1 Timothy chapter 2. We need to be praying for people. But the truth is, at the end of the day, blame doesn't really work. Really doesn't really work. Even if we put it on ourselves, at the end of the day, what people really need right now is comfort. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, we comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Where are we going to get that comfort? Right here. Where are they going to get that comfort? By helping them get here. Are, are you tracking with me? Is everybody out there? All right. So we're supposed to give the comfort away that we've received from God. Where do we see that? In our devotional life with God, in our personal relationship with God, in our corporate gatherings of celebration. We're supposed to give that away to the world. This, this church is supposed to be a church without walls in that respect. The church is supposed to be a place to encourage and build people up. People need to know and see Jesus with skin on. They need to see from God's word that from, and from living testimonies how God can turn bad situations and make them good. It's his specialty. 
But you need to know this. You need to know that even if we did everything right, even if we had the prophetic voice of God, even if we, had, we, we were taking things seriously in our prayer life, even if the church, we weren't playing the, the blame game, could this still have happened this last week? The answer is yes, it could have still happened. Jesus was perfect. In, uh, he was without sin. He, he, at all points, he was without sin. He never crossed the line. He was perfect. But yet Jesus experienced tragedy. But tragedy was turned to triumph ultimately. And so we have to see things all the way through. We have to have a te- from, move from a temporal uh, uh, vantage point and from a short-term vision to a long-term vision because that's what Jesus did. But there's different types of suffering, and, and it's, it's a reality. Sometimes we suffer because it's consequential suffering. We suffer because of our own sin. Sometimes we suffer Christian suffering for the name of Christ just by being associated and being a Christ follower. In America, we don't know much about that. It's made us kind of weak, if, I, if, you, if you ask me, at some level. But sometimes it's common suffering. Sometimes we suffer because it's the fall of man. Man without God is depraved and his heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, sometimes I look and because I have the spirit of God alive in me, I'll look at such evil and be so shocked by the, uh, the egregious uh, nature, the base nature, what can happen to a man who does not know God, when his heart is not fully committed towards God. It's incredulous. It's incredible. But, but it's because... Uh, of that, that sometimes we can suffer. We, but blame won't do anything. In fact, blame this pattern, Luke 13, Jesus referenced in Luke 13, verse 1, he referenced these deaths that were caused by an evil leader. Pilate, we know him in the story of Jesus, of course, but he was a leader prior to that, and, and, and he was responsible for many people's deaths. One time there was a tower that fell, the Tower of Siloam. It fell on a bunch of people. Eighteen people were killed, and the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, you know, uh, were these people worse sinners than, than everybody else? Is that why were they, they were killed? In other words, one person's sin is worse than another, and that's why they suffer. Jesus is like, no, that's not the case. In fact, then the disciples, a little bit later, they see a man. He was born blind from birth, and, and they came to Jesus. And they Jesus, you know, who was responsible for who is, is Was this his sin, or was this his parents' sin? Jesus said, neither. This all happened so that God could be ultimately, what, glorified. See, this tendency for us to blame, it doesn't do anything. God doesn't cause these things, but he will use these things. He will leverage these things to lead people to the Lord. That's what he does. That's his purpose, and that's his plan. God allows these things to happen, not to violate our freedom, as we talked about earlier, but second, to draw people to himself. Because God is not, listen, he's not so much interested in the now. We are. He's interested in forever. God has an eternal, he's an eternal being with eternal perspective. We actually are eternal beings, but we live like temporal beings. We live holding on to life so tightly. We need to wear life like a loose garment. And we need to hang loose, so to speak. You know, But this may be hard but for us to, to understand, but ultimately what happened in the Boston bombings will bring glory to God. Rick Warren, who just lost his son to suicide, his attitude was this. He actually said these words. He goes, Satan, is that all you got? He's writing a book on hope. And he's been doing it for the last year. And he's had multiple attacks on the writing of this book, which many believe, prophetic influences, strong leadership influences believe, that this book will surpass the writing of the purpose-driven life. Which, by the way, 40 million copies worldwide. It's the second best-selling book of all time next to the Bible, just so you know. So the final stand of the enemy to try to to take his son's life. 
And sometimes the commitment to the plan and purposes of God, it'll have some consequences and some, and some difficulty. Did God cause those things? No. But what will it do? Will it make you resign or make you more resolved? What will it do? Number three, what good can come out of this? I believe we have seen uh, through tragedy time and time again who the real heroes are. The real heroes aren't sports figures, aren't Hollywood figures, they aren't political figures, they're not people with tons of money. The real heroes are common the common people, the common man and the common woman who are laying down their lives, sometimes sacrificing their lives for people they don't even know. It's incredible. It's amazing. Adversity, an old quote, is revealed in crisis, not made in crisis. Where do we make, where do we, where do we, excuse me, our character is revealed in adversity, I should say. Where do we, where do we get the character? Where do we get that whole thing worked into us. We do it here. We do it in small groups. We do it in our devotional time with God. You've got to pour those things into your life so that when crisis comes, when opportunity knocks, what comes out of you is a hero. The world is looking for heroes. Will you be ready when the hero is called upon? Because it's going to be people like you and me. Elijah was a man just like us. But he did amazing and miraculous things. Moses was an incredibly humble man. He, he, in fact, he was, he was very insecure in many ways. But ultimately, he was used by God in powerful ways. Will you be ready? God uses these tragedies to show us really uh, the hero. He shows us what really matters. You know what really matters in times like these? People. Not how much we have in our savings account or in our bank account or where we live and all those kind of things. That's not what really, how many vacation days we have. What matters most is people. Relationships are what life is all about. And it's times like these that relationships become most important. Yesterday, I'm watching the news. And I'm seeing Watertown. They're interviewing people in Watertown. For they, one, of the, one of the highlights of the interviews yesterday was, uh, from the newscasters was, everybody that's walking the streets in Watertown was not looking at their cell phones. How many know that is a modern-day miracle? And I'm not kidding. That is a miracle. Everybody's walking around. Nobody's like, no, they're all walking around. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. you know, everybody's talking. Everybody's connected. This crisis made people more cohesive and communicative. People were connecting. People were talking to one another. People were interested in people. That's what, that's what good can come out of this. So many things I could say about this, but in crisis, 9-11, when the 9-11 crisis took place, uh, sh just right after that, 60,000 people went to Yankee Stadium to pray and seek God. Not only does it make you uh, 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 connect with people, it makes you connect to God. You say, well, some of you that know that story, you know that there are other people praying to different gods. Hey, listen, when people are seeking God, God has an incredible ability to be able to find, find you. If you are honestly and sincerely seeking God, he searches the whole earth for people who are trying to do that. And he'll find you. In fact, it's a religious spirit that would say something like that to the contrary. So God is out of his, going out of his way. Actually, God is moving on the earth today. You may not realize that. We sometimes worry about terrorism or, or the religion behind terrorism. Listen, the church of Jesus, I just heard this stat just this week. Many think Islam is outpacing Christianity, and it's simply untrue. Currently, Islam is growing at a rate of 2.7% every year. But Christianity is growing at a rate of 6.9% per year. Come on, can we give the Lord a big shout for that? Is that awesome or what? This, this is a sign. You have to decide, are you going to be, the scripture says many of the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purposes that prevail. You know what that means basically? It means I got things that I want to do, I think are important, whatever, but God's going to get done what's important to him, and we have to decide if we're going to be over here or if we're going to be right over here. And so the church is growing, and it's going to continue to grow. And there's going to be a final outpouring of God's Spirit upon the church. There's going to be the greatest revival the earth has ever seen. And we have to decide, Connect Community Church, if we're going to be a part of that or not. You have to decide if you're going to be a part of that or not. 
And that may sound kind of weird or whatever, but it's still true. It will increase, and there's going to be a revival. Number four, what good will come out of this for those who died? For people who knew Jesus, when they drew their last breath, when they, when they stepped over from this life to the next and closed their eyes in death and opened them again, they were staring into the face of perfect love. That's what they were staring into. They're happy, they're fulfilled, they're secure. There's no more tears, there's no more sadness, there's just gladness. Just did a funeral recently of a sister in the Lord, been here many, many years, a mother figure, Ann Rauer. She's, she's celebrating with God. She's in perfect love right now. She also knows that that perfect love not only permeates her, but that it's made available to those that she loves. That God ultimately, she sees his plan. She understands that he wants to bring us all together one day. What a day, what a day that will be when we're all together and we all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory. She, she's experiencing that. People are experiencing that when they cross over those that know God. But for those who don't know, know Jesus, what about people like that? In other words, what about the people who spent their whole life away from God, rejecting him, giving him the Heisman, ignoring him in essence? What about them? Can they be saved too? Where is God for them in moments of tragedy? Where is God for them in those moments of trial? And the answer is he's, he was right there every second of the way. In every moment, he was right there. In fact, uh, many testimonies ha ha have been revealed over, over centuries that, it, it, that there's a very special presence of God. Uh, we like to say a manifest presence, a tangible presence that God was there in those moments. And, and he's trying, he's tr he's trying to, to, to speak to us and connect to us. And, 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 and these happenings, you've got to know, they don't catch God by surprise. He was there. He, know, he knew it was going to happen. And again, he wouldn't intervene for, he wouldn't intervene for the reasons previously mentioned. But I believe that, and testimonies confirm that, uh, in his mercy, uh, he, he is there. And he offers us sometimes snapshots and, and, and stories and testimonies of this. In fact, there was a story, a famous story. I was reading it. My wife uh, had this book uh, called Let's Roll. But it's a story of Todd Beamer, who was on United Flight 93 during 9-11. And he was traveling uh, from, from Boston. And it was supposed to be going to San Francisco, but ultimately the plane went down in Pennsylvania. How many know the story? Not a, a famous story, incredible. And, and he, uh, he takes an air phone. Uh, the plane has been hijacked. For those of you who don't know, the plane had been hijacked by terrorists, and uh, everybody's been kind of, uh, uh, it's been taken, and he takes the air phone, he pulls it off, and he calls an operator, gets this operator on the phone, I think her name was Lisa Jefferson, and he starts talking to her and sharing with her the circumstances and the situation, the, the plane's been taken, and he, and, and he basically, la he lays out a little outline, he, he gives three things, it's so incredible, and this is what the church should do in circumstances, this is what we should be like, he basically says, tell my wife, tell my wife I love her. And please give her, give, here's her, here's her phone, or please call her and tell her I love her. Second thing he said uh, uh, um, uh, after that, he went through that, he says, uh, can you say the Lord's Prayer with me? And they prayed the entire Lord's Prayer together. And then the third thing he said is, well, we're, we're going to try to take the plane. We're going to try to thwart the plan of these terrorists. And then he drops the phone, and you, all you could hear him say was, let's roll. And, and of course, the rest is history. You know, you know the story. Think about the hero that emerged. And why did he emerge in circumstances like that? Because of what he had done prior to the crisis. Listen, it's just like relationally. We're all going to have trials. We're all going to have difficulties. We have to build a safety net for those things. Other people can have trials. Other people can have difficulties. And we have to build a reservoir that can help people relationally in times of this. We have to build the hero so that the hero emerges in times of crisis. The three things that are most important to them, my relationships, I, I need to talk to God, and I need to protect those around me. That should, be the church's, that should be the church's preoccupation and focus. So look what he did in these moments. 
I wonder how many on that plane, though, cried out to God when they were going down. I believe many in the last seconds of their lives cried out to God. I believe even more God hears the cries of the broken. He hears those people. For example, you know, in 9-11, people ran into buildings, 1,600 degrees, firefighters. I remember the pictures. Priests were found dead praying for people because, you know, stuff was toppling upon them. And people will hurl themselves from the World Trade Center, in essence, to, to run for their lives, ultimately to die. I believe people cried out to God in moments like these, and I believe God heard those cries. I don't believe one cry was left unheard. And this is what the Bible says in Acts 2 and Joel 2. He says it twice to make it abundantly clear. It says, in the last days, those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You say, well, you're trying to tell me that people could walk away from God, they could reject God their entire life, they could just not make him a priority and all those kind of things in the midnight hour and final moments in the last seconds of their life, they could cry out and God would save them. I don't recommend we wait that long. I think it's foolish and infantile to do so, but my answer is yes. Yes, that's how merciful, that's how gracious our God is. And his mercy and his grace, it confounds humanity. It confounds people. That's why we have such a hard time coming to him because we don't understand the, the full uh, measure of his grace. But can I tell you who it confounds even more? It confounds Satan. His dark, black heart, it frustrates so much that he can work so hard to keep somebody from God that in the final moments, God could get them back. But that's the kind of God we serve in love. I love that about my God. Amen. Remember the thief on the cross with Jesus? He couldn't offer God good life, good works. He couldn't pay for it. He couldn't make up for past mistakes. He couldn't make wrong things right. He couldn't offer Jesus money. He couldn't serve him. He couldn't get down, he couldn't get down on the cross and, 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 you know, write a paper and tell you all the things I did wrong. He couldn't do that. The only thing he could do is say, hey, buddy over there, you don't even know who you're talking to. And he turned to Jesus and said, remember me. Remember me. And Jesus said, I will. I do remember you. You'll be with me. He unashamedly accepted the thief's plea and took him. The enemy of our soul always wants, always, always wants our soul, but he always, always underestimates the mercy and grace of God. It frustrates him so much, and I love it. Question number five, should we forgive the bomber, and should we forgo retaliation? I'm going to go over, and I apologize, but this is good stuff, so I'm really not apologizing. Should we forgive the bomber and should we forgo retaliation? Yes, we should forgive. Christians are obligated to forgive. Forgiveness is giving people precisely what they need and exactly what they do not deserve. Forgiveness is always something like that. Christianity in its simplest form is a group of individuals who understand they've been forgiven. And so Jesus said while dying unjustly on a cross at the hands of a mob of evil people under the influence of Satan himself, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. When they hurled insults at him in 1 Peter chapter 2, it references them. He did not retaliate against their insults. He, when he suffered and when, he was, uh, when they made threats, indeed, he entrusted himself to him, God, who judges rightly, or God's justice. He trusted God's justice ultimately. And so the tendency not to forgive is the fear that justice won't be served, and, the, and it's also the underestimation of our own personal sin. Forgiveness is given in grace and mercy. It's given for people who need it, and we all need it. There's a story in Matthew chapter 18. It talks about this, you know, Peter goes to Jesus. How many times do I forgive? Seven times, you know, and I, aren't I a good boy, Jesus, seven times? Jesus is like, Peter, that's my interpretation. <laughs> Seventy times seven, Peter. No, it's not like that. In fact, let me tell you a story about a master and, 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 and a guy who owed this master a lot of money. He owed him a lot of money, millions and millions and millions of dollars. 
And he went to the master and, and he asked for forgiveness. And he begged him, please, you know, because he was going to be thrown in jail and he's going to be tortured and all these horrible things were going to happen. And the master had mercy on him and forgave the debt. That man went out and then found somebody who owed him money and didn't do the same. In fact, he had him thrown in jail. Well, the servants who were, who were working in the jail told this man's master who had forgiven the great debt, and that master called him in and called him to task. He said, you should have done what I had done for you. Instead, you'll be thrown in prison. You'll be tortured. And anyone who does the same, that's what will happen. That's what Scripture says in Matthew chapter 18. Listen, we will remain in a prison, a spiritual prison, when we do not forgive. Okay? So it's important. I don't care who it is. We're called to forgive. But should we forgo retaliation? Let me separate. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And this is where things get messed up and people get kind of squirrely as Christians. You know, we don't repay evil for evil. Listen, that's a misappropriation of the text applied to this circumstance, especially government under God. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 says, everyone, everybody say everyone, race, creed, doesn't matter, must submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For, uh, every ruler ho- the, for the ruler holds no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do, don't you want to be free from, uh, from fear of the one in authority? I know I do. Then do what is right and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. The first century uh, Rome, the sword was an instrument of capital punishment, by the way. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on wrongdoers. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also because of consciousness. Conscience, excuse me. It's naive to say we should not retaliate in situations like this. It's a misunderstanding of justice under God. Um, it's a, it's a misapplication of, of, of Scripture. God gave, in essence, government the right to defend, to protect, and if necessary, take life. God, in this text, obligates, listen, our government and civil service leaders to retaliate, if for no other reason but for righteousness' sake and for justice. Another reason is when terrorists have, uh, and, and they, it's, it's pretty known that they've declared war on us. And promise more of the same. And so therefore our country's leadership is obligated to protect us and to serve us in this way. This actually, you may not realize this and we complain about this a lot. But this is fundamentally why we pay taxes. To be protected in this country. That's why we pay taxes. The, what, what just happened this last week where the Boston police and the surrounding police departments and the FBI and, and intelligence and all these different people that participated in this manhunt. All that is made possible, and they did such a good job, by the way, because of our taxes. It wouldn't be possible without that. And so you have to understand that your protection, your, your, your physical protection, your financial protection is made possible because of government agencies. In fact, because of the risk of, of doing business, um, if you put a plane and you throw it into a financial institution in New York City, businesses go bankrupt. People, people don't want to take the risk of doing business. And so we, the, the, the plot and ploy of the enemy is to bring us back to a third world state where, where our financial institutions are destroyed. Any financial principle uh, is that the greater the risk, the less the investment is worth. And so we, we remove the risk when we pay taxes, when we come under government authority and we have the protection for and they have to be able to exercise that authority and do justice where necessary. It was allowed to go on so we could, we, so we could be protected. But what about retaliation? It, it must be righteous, by the way. Retaliation must be righteous. 
It must be just because there are hundreds and thousands of widows and orphans in the Middle East, and we must punish those who deserve to be punished, but not the innocent. Widows and orphans and the like are, are in the heart of God no matter where they are. And, and we must punish those who do wrong, but we have to pray that God give wisdom to our, to our leaders and to our military so they can, they can operate in discretion and, and be very careful about these things. But ultimately, it's not the might of the U.S. military that these people need to fear, but the might of our God. He will avenge. He will repay, Romans 12 tells us. Number six, are we in the last days? I'm so far over. Are we in the last days? I believe we are, yes. And it's not because of all the deaths we see. In fact, the Boston bombings doesn't make death more frequent there's more deaths from accidents and, and, from, and from disease. What the Boston bombings do is it makes death more real. See, we're very desensitized and unplugged. I am. We see more murders on TV uh, now than I would in an entire uh, adolescence in, in, in a week. At church, we, 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 we are kind of like a frog in the water. We're being slowly cooked. You know, and, we, and these type of experiences, they make it more personal. It changes us, and it's good that it does. Otherwise, we go on desensitized with the reality of what's going on in the world. In church, we can't continue to live where our happiness is found in this world. That's what sidetracks us so much. We hold on to this life again so, so tightly so that we can't mimic it. We can't be like it, but you're not imitators of the world. You know, do not conform to the pattern of this world, the Bible tells us. Because it's in ordinary times that sometimes we become dull. It's in these extraordinary times where we become sensitive, we become sober, we become serious. And I'm going to say something that's kind of serious, and, 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 and I mean it in love, I really do. And I, I've tried to find the best words to say it, so I'm going to read it just like I put it in my journal. But we're advancing towards eternity with God, or we're advancing towards eternity separate from God every minute. What we are to be... In this life, we are becoming minute by minute. Who we are to be with, we can decide in a minute. It's all about eternity with God. In the last days, God will use this to bring people to himself. What's good about these tragedies is it brings these kind of questions to the forefront because we're all on the most serious journey imaginable. This tragedy just brings all the tragedies that are frankly happening all the time to the forefront of our minds. And it makes us think about the most important things. And the most important thing is we're all on a serious journey. We will all, there's a 100% chance that we'll all die one day. And so you have to decide, many decide this, what are we going to die for? Well, some people will die for family and for loved ones. I'd give my life to save my family. Some people will die for somebody they don't even know, even just a friend. Some people will die for, for people they don't know. Some people will die for a cause. But more than that, a more important question is, what will you live for in this life now? These things should make us ask that question. Will, will you live for an eternal perspective? Will you live with eternity in mind? It should be. Because if you, have, if you haven't encountered Jesus, it's important that you do because that's what, he's, that's what he's all about. Because in my opinion, what happens is, in this world, the, the love of many grows cold, as it says in Matthew chapter 24. Meanwhile, God's saying, I want you to advance the gospel through the whole, whole earth so everybody can be with me. And when that's done, I'm coming back. Then the end will come, it says. Jesus said, we as a church should know the times and we should be able to discern them. We have to be careful that our faith won't grow cold. We have to be careful in these last days that we become more passionate, more about God's priorities. Number seven, so what should we do? My last question, and this is it. 
1 Peter 4, 7 says this. What should we do? The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert, sober-minded, so that you may pray. Everybody say pray. What should we do? We should pray. Above all, love each other deeply. What should we also do? We should love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have. What should we do? We should use whatever gift you have. Receive to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Three things we should do in light of all these happenings. We should pray like never before. I want to I confess to you that I don't pray enough. We need to be a church that prays. I'm not talking about praying before your bed and praying before grace, you know, before, before you're saying grace before your meal. I'm talking about a personal pursuit of an omnipotent God, asking for an open heaven, asking for him to, to help us, and give us wisdom, to give us discernment in the times, to help us and empower us by his grace to be able to live in this cursed world, to be able to navigate it, to be able to help other people and have the ability to be able to do that. And, and we need a gift that God has given us. By the way, he's given each one of you gifts. If you don't know what those are, you need to come to 301 tonight and figure that out. That's not just so you can feel, oh, cool, I know my gifts. No, it's cool so you can use them and watch cool stuff happen. So you need to pray. You need to love each other deeply. We should, people should come in here and just see, these people love each other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's attractive. It's meaningful. And should use your gift for other people. Would you stand on your feet and let me pray for you? If we do these things, if we pray, if we love each other deeply, if we use our gift, we'll transform our culture. We'll change this area. We'll be a major impact. We'll be a light in the world. If you just bow your heads and let me pray. Father God, 2,000 years ago, you let angry, hate-filled people, energized by the devil himself, kill your one and only son. You allowed this to happen. You, 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 you looked on. God, God, you know our heartache. You know our outrage. You know the different things that are happening. You know the pain that people are feeling right now in our world. Jesus wants us to know that he knows. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one. He knows what it's like to experience loss. God knows what it's like to lose someone he loves. But God took the death of his son and turned it around and made it, and made it the redemption of of the world. When Jesus died, Satan celebrated, but Satan had no idea how bad he lost that day. He had no idea. And this last week, a, a shot was fired, but the church, if it would rise up, will make sure that it backfires. God, I pray that you use your church, that you make us a mighty agent of change, that God, you would rise up within us, that you'd make us heroes common man, the common woman, heroes, God, ready and prepared in times like these, in times that will come as these times increase in the last days. Lord, would you use us? Would you equip us, God? Would you make us mindful of the truth? Would you help us, Lord God, to rise up in faith, to put our trust in God, knowing that only he can keep us safe? Are we to be afraid? No. But are we to be sober and serious? Yes. I pray, Lord Jesus, your spirit go with us as we go our separate ways today. May we not lose what we've heard in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Can you give the Lord a big hand clap? Praise the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you.